You are now listening to Double Jump Radio. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of Double Jump Radio, the official podcast of DoubleJump.co. I'm your host, Abia, and I'm joined once again by my co-host, John. John, how you going, man? I'm alright. Kind of a little low energy today, but uh, yeah, big news week today, so I'll probably pick up as it goes on. Uh, what about you? <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, I feel like this happens, I feel like this is probably the the biggest news that's like dropped right after we've recorded. Yeah, like, <laughs> an episode. like hours later. <laughs> so I think, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's uh, interesting, interesting to say the least. Um, we'll definitely cover the main story in a little bit. But first up, uh, let's talk about what appeared on the site over the past week. Uh, we actually just had Cullum's Century Age of Ashes review. So uh, he's, uh, I guess he gave it a three out of five. Like it's it's got potential, but there's not much that really propels you to keep going besides the core gameplay. Essentially, the game is like a six... It's like multiplayer dragon riding dog fighting game. So yeah. So, I imagine it plays a little yeah. like a slower ace combat, I guess. Something like that. Yeah. So, imagine something like what... Was it Star Wars Squadrons from a couple of years ago? Um, but dragons? Yeah. <laughs> Instead of spaceships? I'm like actually like super into the there. concept. Because it's like, you know, like... Uh, Oh, what's that Sega franchise? I forget. It's like Dragoon. Uh, Panzer Panzer Dragoon. Dra- That's it. It's yeah. a bit like that, except... Well, it's like... Because I think the la- later entries of that series were a bit more freeform. I don't think they were mm. on rails, but I, I have no yeah. idea. <laughs> but it's I like... I so, yeah. yeah. But I feel like dragon riding is something that comes up rarer than you'd think in something like video games. I don't know how. Mm. It feels like something where you'd, you'd see it all the time. <laughs> yeah, like, the I think there was a game on the PS3 called Lair... Which was yeah, like that the game probably, that was yeah. used to demo the the six axis kind of tilt controls on the on the original PS3 controller. Yeah, so that's yeah, that probably killed probably, the concept for a while. Yeah, <laughs> and, and like not long before that, there was like the Aragon films, oh, which yeah. were like based on some children's books or something. So that, I guess yeah, there's the market for dragon on dragon um, air fighting is like wide open. It's, it's yeah. it would yeah. need a battle royale. I'll take a battle royale. That sounds neat. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So yeah, Callum didn't seem to. Yeah, he was like pretty like blasé on it generally. Yeah. Like he liked the. I think he said one of the modes, which I forget the name of now, was quite good. The other two were. Yeah, it was like six. Or at least six. Or yeah, like but that, at least yeah. one of them was just chaotic. One of them kind of struck yeah. a good balance, and the other I forget what Callum said. Go read it. <laughs> I, I'm yeah. not, not telling you. So dragons. <laughs> yeah. And that the monster. reading it. I'm like. This is like I like I like that someone made this. Yeah, game. I just it sounds like it could have been better. Yeah, like it's um, and the monetization is extremely expensive from what Callum mentioned, yeah. and also not very effective because you can't see anyone's gear because everyone's flying yeah. past you too fast. Yeah, and stuff. Which I, is, I think, yeah, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. It's oh. it sounds like something that could maybe build into something interesting. Like something worthwhile over time, because I yeah. I don't think it was mentioned whether it was like free to play or not. I think I think, I think it's a once. it's a retail game, okay. but there was definitely mi- microtransactions and you know purchasable like cosmetic items, and I think some of them were between like fifty to eighty dollars. Like you could spend for like a huge 
Like you could spend a lot of money and not really get much. Yeah, that's it's a wild amount of money to spend <laughs> for almost nothing. But I guess that's always yeah. true. It's like you're spending people are spending like twenty dollars each on Fortnite skins and stuff, so I guess yeah. it's too far out of the ordinary. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the thing. It's I don't know, I think that like I don't know, we're like a decade we're like decade plus in in terms of market transactions and in game purchases and we still haven't quite figured out the right mix. Mm. I feel like every online game has got people yelling at it I, I can't think of an example where things are, are like good like i feel like f- probably Fortnite is like the game where i never hear any complaints about the microtransactions yeah. anymore it's like people were like happy that it didn't have loot boxes and it's kind of like enough and it has like you know skins yeah. people really want because there's so many tie-ins and so skins you can see because it's third person yeah that's too and it's like i was really sure like because i don't I don't play Fortnite because apparently... I don't know. If you listen to this podcast, I don't play anything. But um, <laughs> No, you play Spelunky 2 and Mario. Nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I was really surprised when I heard about the price of those skins. It's like... I was yeah. like... It felt like, you know, the mar- in the player base... Like, people who play video games were so against loot boxes and just, like, predatory yeah. means of exploitation through, like, stuff like that. And it's kind of it went. It kind of regressed in a positive way to just buy mm. what you want piecemeal, but it's like yeah. so expensive. See, I, see, I I need to look into it more. But as my understanding yeah. is that the basic, like you know, tie-in skin is quite expensive. Yeah. Um. So it's. But I guess it's like I, I guess maybe the way you can think about it is like it's like buying an action figure, like it's a digital yeah. action figure, right? Yeah, that's um, kind of a neat way to look at it, actually. That's probably I'm guessing like when when I used to work in retail, like you know Fortnite, Roblox, and Minecraft were what parents used to like kind of ask, "Hey, do you sell these cards? Do you sell the the coins or do you sell uh, tokens, credits?" And it 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 I think it's kind of replaced you know Tamagotchis and Beyblade, you know those like fad toys. Now they've just got like this one thing that they just obsess with for the whole year, and maybe the parents might spend twenty bucks a month, and it keeps the kids happy. Yeah. Like for a game that's essentially free, um, like I mean, it is a free to play game, so mm. it's. I mean, there's something to be said that it's basically just like, um, like Saturday morning cartoon ads, like you know those really. Oh, like yeah. kind of targeted ads like you're basically playing like if you think about it you could say that Fortnite with all the tie-ins and everything is like playing a digital ad you know like you're actually you are the product you you know you're being sold to these companies or whatever it is right but you know that may be like a more sinister way of looking at it maybe it's not so bad because it's free and you know you don't have to spend money if you don't want to yeah I don't know I never like that argument much <laughs> <laughs> like going, like looking at it with like a bleak point of view always seems more honest to what's actually happening. But like it's maybe we shouldn't go too far into maybe that. Maybe you're, you're just too jaded. Maybe, yeah, of <laughs> course I am. But it's like, um, oh yeah, oh uh, we shouldn't. It's not like a discussion point, but it's like, man, I'd kill for Beyblades to be like the hottest thing again. <laughs> what a stupid <laughs> toy that was. <laughs> but um, yeah. I still have one. <laughs> I probably have some somewhere. I have like my yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Like Yu-Gi-Oh is still a thing. If anything, it's more yeah. of a thing now because of the digital games. So people yeah. like those. But like, um, anyway. <laughs> yeah, like, of course. Let's be. Let's assume that Yu-Gi-Oh has become NFTs already because it is Konami after all. 
yeah that's <laughs> that does sound inevitable actually oh yeah. wow I, especially anyway. since uh, Castlevania things were like the only one I've heard that was like successful and it probably won't keep being successful if they do it again but people seem to it was, it was like an auction them, so. or something right yeah which sounds okay. yeah which is like okay I guess they, I know they made money on it for how little money you have yeah. to invest in something like that <laughs> so it's hey can you can you just like crop out these assets from these games and just send me the JPEGs thanks <laughs> yeah um uh, anyway, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's going to do for the <laughs> uh, the articles that were on the site this past week. Definitely check out Callum's review if you are interested on dragon on dragon violence. <laughs> oh yeah, Callum also mentioned how point how bad the title is because it doesn't really yeah. sell, tell you anything. <laughs> yeah, like, I think there's like a backstory to it, but mm. yeah, you definitely don't get dragon combat from it. Um, but yeah, anyway. Go read it. Like, I get ashes, but I don't know. Like, mm. I don't know. Like, even if they literally called it Dragoon Age of Ashes, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's like a dragon thing. Or like, what a straight up know. dragon. Like, that'll work. <laughs> dragon. <Yeah. laughs> Age of Ashes. Like, yeah, people will get it. <laughs> Age of <laughs> Yeah, why not do that? Or just call it hashtag, just call it that dragon game. <laughs> yeah, that'll get way more sales than it has to have had already. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's uh let's move on to the the big news of this past week. You know? I I do apologize again that we are late to the party when it comes to covering this, but it, it literally dropped like the like the morning after we recorded <laughs> it's like yeah just so soon after oh yeah because i was still yeah. awake because like <laughs> like me and jake like our editor, yes because you guys were like, talking about it on the discord yeah so it was like midnight in perth which i guess is around 2 or 3 a.m where you are yeah and i was like that was not long after we recorded like that was like six hours later ish yeah something like that mm. which is <laughs> unfortunate for us yeah but yeah a lot of news though have like piled up it's 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 like it's huge news so uh, if somehow you know you've you've missed the news, uh, the major news story from the past week is that Microsoft uh, announced plans to acquire the entirety of Activision Blizzard for sixty-eight point seven US billion dollars. If this gets uh, approved via you know you know US legislation and everything, this will be by far the largest video game acquisition like ever yeah i think the zynga one was like probably the second largest and that only happened like two weeks ago uh, we talked about last week. <laughs> we were talking about last week that's right yes like that's yeah so uh, and the the crazy thing about this is that it's not one of those transactions where it's like hey we're gonna do a bit in cash bit in shares and a bit in something else it's like nah microsoft's like we're gonna p- pay cash to buy your company yeah yeah it's it's, it's um yeah, uh, let's let's talk through kind of like the first part of the news before we talk about you know what this really means for the industry. So the the first thing to discuss is the fact that um, uh, Phil Spencer took to Xbox Wire, which is the official kind of Xbox blog. Um, yeah, so it basically laid out the fact that 
uh, quote, until this transaction closes, Activision, Bl- Activision Blizzard and Microsoft Gaming will continue to operate independently. Once the deal is complete, the Activision Blizzard business will report to me as CEO of Microsoft Gaming, which I guess he uh, got a promotion somewhere. <laughs> like, oh, in between right. head of Xbox and like, um, and this. Is uh, Microsoft Gaming like a new company as well? Like, it wasn't called that originally, was it? I think, no. I think it used to be like, you know, head of Xbox Studios or head of Xbox. Yeah. yeah. And now it's like kind of Microsoft Gaming. I think it's to bring the whole, you know, we're, we're cloud-based, we're Xbox-based, we're PC-based. Mm. Like, we're gaming everywhere. So, I think that's kind of the the way it's going to be. And uh, to continue the quote, upon close, we will offer as many Activision Blizzard games as we can within Xbox Game Pass and PC Game Pass, both new titles and games from Activision Blizzard's incredible catalogue. Unfortunately, there was no mention of what's going to happen to Bobby Kotick, but we did get a, I guess, I don't know, some some disappointing news coming out of a, uh, like, coming out later in the week but before we talk about that how crazy is this deal like I, I was not expecting this at all yeah I was like really frustrated when I heard it I've definitely calmed down pretty quick after but it's like yeah I'm really sick I mean I don't know I think it just makes me sound naive but like um, I do not like everything consolidating in such big ways I understand it in mm. you know when small things you know, bought up, though that's not really much better. You know, Embracer buying up 600 studios isn't really much better. But like, um, yeah. I don't know, it just feels like two entire countries <laughs> of the game world just like suddenly decided to come together. Come and it's just like, yeah. oh, it's like, that's such a, it's not like healthy for the industry really at all. Like yeah. it, it, it only really benefits. And it, like another part of it that I don't like, which is very, um, it's kind of childish really, but like it, it made me think about like it felt like Apple buying their way into gaming like it's not really the same case Xbox has been here for 20 years mm. but they, they you know they're not like using their success as a brand they're like using their Microsoft clout and money to money. like <laughs> root, you know to, like yank this huge chunk of the industry in their direction yeah and it's just yeah. like it, it feels very I mean like no, I'm not sure what unfair but it feels like I don't know. Anti-competitive. Unnatural, <laughs> maybe. Unnatural. <laughs> um, well, that's the thing. Like, I think this is, like, short-term, it's a good deal. You know, like, Activision Blizzard has kind of squandered its, like, vast catalogue of, you know, IP. Like, not many people realise this, but Activision B- Blizzard was the first third-party developer slash publisher. Like, back when the original Atari 2600 came out. Like, there was basically Atari... And then Activision's like, hey, we don't like the way things are going here. We want to give credit to the people who make games. Funny right. how that <laughs> how that's changed. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm just thinking if that was that or if that was maybe EA came out of that. But anyway, like this, that era, like Activision was like the first major third-party game developer. Right. And then now it's like... It's like it's being folded back into the platform holder. It's like you're losing... I guess short term it's good, you know, getting these games on Game Pass and things like that. But long term, you know, it, I guess like consolidation and things like that can hurt. You know, you're losing a lot of independent voices, right? Mm. Like, it's. I, I wonder what's going to happen, like to like developers, like 
think about it like there's always whenever there's big mergers like this there's always like you know potentially thousands of people are going to lose their jobs because there's just redundancy in terms of microsoft's got publishing people developer relations people marketing people blah 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 so does activision does microsoft need to have both Mm. probably not did that happen to bethesda much because uh not yet okay like um but i think it does sound like like inevitable but it it does i think there were some things but i feel like bethesda isn't as big as an activision blizzard in terms of like if you think about the overall gaming market like um like bethesda's like okay fallout 4 did okay fallout 76 kind of died in the ass (laughs) <laughs> Skyrim is like kind of the consistent selling thing and then the Doom games are doing well and the Wolfenstein games do okay hmm. yeah, I guess like, like the arcane part of it is probably the biggest like biggest well, draw for now for modern people I guess yeah and even then it's like the arcane's games have like never sold except for Dishonored like yeah. and even that one I can't imagine I don't think it sold incredibly well it just sold yeah. okay and it's yeah. like you know otherwise they were kind of a failure like financially like they're always doing good work but um well anyway my point is that like bethesda made me sad because i didn't like seeing all these historic properties suddenly get like sucked up into like a corner Mm. of the industry this is like just this happening in like such a big way like i have i have no affection for like almost anything that company owns not just because of you know the last news we've been reporting on for the last six months or so but like it's i just don't have I just don't feel much towards Diablo or WoW or Call of Duty, but they're such like huge, especially Call of Duty are such like massive juggernauts in the industry. That is like such a, you know, a big part of their place in the industry is being sort of neutral. Yeah. Yeah. Which is um, funny because like, you know, Spyro and Crash Bandicoot were kind of like de facto mascots of the PlayStation. Yeah. Now they belong to Xbox. (laughs) Yeah, that's... That's awesome. Well, yeah, I don't know. At least there's uh, like a better chance. Like, cause like with uh, Microsoft having it, at least they'll kind of revive a lot of these IPs. Cause yeah, what they want is, uh, well, I mean, I'd imagine what they want is like a Netflix style content factory. Um, yeah. Like you know, for Game Pass, like assuming that's their end game, I don't actually know. Yeah. I feel like their end game is probably harder to envision. Exactly what it And that's the thing, like, Microsoft, like, the difference between Microsoft and Sony is that, like, like PlayStation only makes money, you know, a, a PlayStation, like, an ideal PlayStation customer isn't just someone who plays the exclusives. Like, you, they want people to play all games on PlayStation consoles, right? Whereas Microsoft can be like, hey, you played on PlayStation, sorry, you played on Xbox or you played on PC or you played on, like, you know you know, cloud streaming via your Android phone, doesn't matter, we still get a cut of that, right? Yeah. That's the difference is like Microsoft's like, hey, you're you're part of the Xbox family, like you're part of the Microsoft gaming kind of user base, whereas PlayStation's like, you're a PlayStation user or you're like, you're dead to us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, um, yeah, and that's another thing is like Call of Duty, I think it's the second or third set best-selling game or like yearly on a PlayStation, mm. and you're just yeah. taking that whole part of the. I mean, as on like Phil Spencer um, said, what's been no, it's not going to happen. Yeah, exactly. But that's for like, now. Which <laughs> honestly sounds. I don't know. I would be surprised if they pull it from PlayStation 
just because of how much money, the sheer amount of money it makes. It depends on what their goal is. Because like, yeah, well, are they gonna treat it like Minecraft and keep it, you know, widespread because of the brand power, or are they gonna probably? Yeah, I, probably I'd imagine financially, yes. Yeah, so it's like Call of Duty is kind of like its own thing that doesn't need to be so attached to Xbox. You just kind of keep yep. need to keep it as like a way of leveraging the Xbox brand rather than sort of yeah. its own rather than associating it purely with Xbox like it's yeah but imagine and it means like Microsoft like it'll mean that Microsoft pretty much owns most of the shooter landscape now like think about it you got Call of Duty yeah. Halo Gears of War um, Doom Wolfenstein uh, Overwatch and pretty much the only thing missing is like Destiny yeah. and um you know, uh, yeah, Rel- they might have owned them as well if they hadn't left. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and the thing is, I think that's why the the shift to Microsoft Gaming is another part of it. Is that it? Like, they don't. They can point to it and say, "Oh, this is a Microsoft decision, not an Xbox decision." Maybe like that could be something to point to in the future, like mm-hmm. separating the Xbox brand from the like kind of the Call of Duty like kind of. You know, uh, exclusive discussion means that, you know, at least on the surface, it, it doesn't come across as being an Xbox move, but it, cl- I mean, it clearly is. Yeah, there's no, yeah. it's a pretty, you know, superficial distinction. Yeah, but, but um, imagine, you know, imagine, okay, so say for example, Call of Duty isn't exclusive, but it's day one on Xbox. Yeah, that's like, what imagine I was the expecting. Sh- imagine the, sh- the, the user base going up. Mm. Like, yeah, it's th- like, that'll be huge. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's like it definitely feels like something where, like, imagine like ten years when cloud gaming is far more capable in Australia. It doesn't work still, <laughs> but everywhere else in the world will. And it's like imagine when like cloud gaming is like easily accessible and yeah. just works well, and you have COD day one for like twenty dollars or so because the price is probably going to go up eventually. Um, I mean, oh, maybe not, but pro- yeah. yeah. As like you know, like that rather than paying seventy dollars at least on playstation or whatever else it's yeah. um well there wouldn't be anything else probably <laughs> it'd just be playstation and <laughs> pc and xbox which would probably be the kind of the same deal but um yeah. it's oh yeah also wanted to yeah. mention apparently um what was reported um was that activision blizzard wanted was looking into meta um purchasing like facebook purchasing activision blizzard like um at some point uh, so apparently yeah. microsoft is kind of like at the very least, the second choice, if not yeah. several more behind that. So it's like, think, in hindsight, like I think that's yeah. kind of what made it seem a little, that kind of calm, knowing that I was like infurious, but it definitely kind of <laughs> calmed me down a little bit where it's like, oh, I guess yeah. it's a bit okay. better. <laughs> it could be like, okay, you're taking away gamer choice or you could go to a company that's literally taking away human choice <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> in parts of the world. Well, like talk, let, let's talk about that. So the next, uh, like after the news dropped, um, one of the first interviews with uh, Bobby Kotick, everyone's favorite gaming CEO. <laughs> uh, so in an interview with GamesBeat, uh, Bobby Kotick kind of elaborated on what was the motivation for this deal with Microsoft. And I guess the the primary, the way he framed it was that Activision Blizzard saw the need to have um, talents in the fields of, quote, artificial intelligence and machine learning, data analytics, in purple, in purpose-built cloud and cybersecurity. So 
it's like these are the areas where we see technology moving and games moving into potentially we don't have the talent for it um you know getting talent is expensive or um you know why don't we talk to a company that already has expertise in that you know like microsoft's because it's got its uh, azure cloud platform that pretty much powers xbox live and OneDrive and all sorts of stuff around the world uh it's got you know it's it's got its hands in so many different pies like mm. pretty much anything with a screen has got microsoft something on it yeah like whether it's like you know word on an ipad or like you know microsoft um like outlook on your iphone or mm. like on your android phone or whatever like there's there's probably something somewhere with a Microsoft integration. So it it I guess it makes sense from that point. Yeah. And yeah, uh, like and and when when he asked when GamesBeats uh, I think it was Dean Takahashi kind of questioned, "Hey, how like what what about the impact of the allegations, you know, kind of the ongoing litigation from the California Department of Employment and Fair Housing?" Oh, oh, oh. That's always fair employment and housing. It's one of those things, yeah. um, and and you know the like kind of the other like other allegations and things happening at Activision. He basically downplayed kind of the importance of that and said that the 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 reason why um, the share prices uh, you know dropped so much to a point where Microsoft could buy it in cash was that um, quote uh, I think what affected the stock price more than that is pushing out Overwatch and Diablo and then I think people started to see that this year's Call of Duty wasn't performing as well it's like no it's not it's not the ongoing controversy and the you know the dumpster fire that is my workplace it's it's these two games that people were you know sort of looking forward to being delayed again and this year's Call of Duty wasn't doing too well even though Warzone's doing pretty much as well as ever yeah that's true it's like (laughs) I don't know I kind of don't disagree with it though like, like I'm sure the, work, the allegations have been, like, constant for so long. Well, you know, six months or so. I think it was in July or something. I don't remember. Mm. But, um... Yes, I think so. I think, I think it's when it started. Yeah. And it's, um... Yeah, it's, like, been such a constant presence that it's definitely brought down there, you know. I don't know. I'm actually not yeah. sure how it lowers share prices so much as just, I guess, belief in the studio's, like, continued, like, financial health. Because that's why I kind of believe in this idea that it's like, oh, they push the games ahead. Therefore, profits won't be as high as we originally set it, yeah. which would just immediate, have like immediate results. I don't know. I don't disagree yeah. with what he's saying in a way that makes me angry. Because <laughs> um, money is the biggest motivation. Yeah, exactly. But it's, um, yeah, I don't know. Nothing about that quote surprises me in terms of just yeah. dismissing the culture stuff because that's what he's been doing the whole time and yeah. so on and so forth. Yeah. And and the the final part of kind of what happened at the end of last week, uh, specifically for Activision Blizzard, is that um, according to the Washington Post, uh, Bobby Kotick and uh, the Chief People Officer Julie Hodges hosted a quote all hands meeting um, uh, last week to uh, you know kind of answer questions from staff. Right? Apparently, Bobby Kotick showed up late and then ended yeah. it early, which is always a good look. Um, yeah. <laughs> It was like everyone was just kind of like in like a giant Zoom call with no videos, like all videos turned off. It's like kind of, yeah. So um, I guess when asked about, you know, what, 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 how's the transition going to be um, 
and, and what's going to happen to, you know, the people whose jobs might be at stake. Uh, Kotick responded, um, quote, The transition is going to be smooth because Microsoft is committed to trying to retain as many of our people as possible. So, quick to note, as many people doesn't mean everyone. Yeah. So, it seems like even he admits that, you know, there are going to be some redundancies. Some people will lose their will lose their jobs, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And then when he was asked if he's going to stay on as CEO after the acquisitions completed, if it's approved, um, quote, he said, this is a company that I've now been here for 31 years and there is nothing more important to me other than my children than this company. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's married anymore. <laughs> that sounds like a lie when it's written out like that (laughs) (laughs) i can tell you that my commitment to the company is to remain in my role once the deal closes what i've committed to microsoft is that i will stay as long as is necessary to ensure that we have a great integration and a great transition yeah so i think like a lot there's been a lot of coverage over codex role aside from like spencer i think we don't we don't have the like content right here. I think like the general gist of it is that Spencer's kind of danced around Codex's role in the future. Like they've yeah. very been very much against yeah. like speaking against Codex. Like they've been and like um the CEO of Microsoft kind of uh, praised him, like praised his role, which yeah. I imagine has something to do with like maintaining the purchase prices. You know, because it's yeah. not happening until next year. Yeah, and yeah. share prices as well, yeah. Cause like, probably like you don't want to get accused of like insider trading, you know, saying negative comments to artificially drop the price and then, you know, it gets messy. Yeah, but it's still kind of frustrating to read after yeah. all the news after months. Um, it's, yeah, just kind of, yeah, I guess kind of unsurprising. It's like, it was frustrating reading like, the, like you know, some of the first information from these interviews was like, what about Kodak? And they were like, so toothless. And it's like, it's not a surprise, but I think I was expecting, I guess like in hindsight, like I think one of the first things a lot of people were hoping for was, oh, Codex out, right? But the purchase isn't finished yet. And now they kind of just got to like, you know, praise him as much as possible, I guess. Yeah. So kind of like... like, When he he leaves, he's going to get like a huge payout, right? Yeah, that's what I was going to say as well. It's like he arrives late, leaves early. I was like, man, he's already on the way. <laughs> like, he's already on the runway, you know? Yep. <laughs> but um, he's like, I've taken... like he, He's just like, took a break from counting all the zeros in his inevitable paycheck to have this, like, half an hour meeting that turned out to be like 15 minutes and then, like, leave. Yeah, I think someone calculated how much his shares are worth and they're, like, in the hundreds of millions. Yeah, I think it would be like two fifty, around two fifty million US, roughly. Is yeah. and yeah, and I'm sure he's getting another bonus this year or whatever. So it's gonna be a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, I guess trust is something that I d- I think is too far gone for Bobby Kotick. But do you think there's a better chance for Mikey Barra at Blizzard? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> I guess. Um, so Mikey Barra has stated on the official Blizzard Spot blog that he wants to earn back the employee's trust through a number of actions um, as the new CEO. So this was after his co-CEO left a month or so ago, um, which is still nuts to me. He's been there for like a year or something, <laughs> and he's now the CEO. Um, anyway, so quote, 
As a first step towards improving communication with the community, I wanted to highlight some of the initial actions we're taking to improve our culture. Um, so this includes, um, quote, measuring our executive and management teams directly against culture improvement. So that means that, like the way they explain it, the, um, their success, their like financial compensation, that'll apparently it'll directly depend on how much they improve the work culture and environment at Blizzard. Thank fuck. I guess. I don't know. Every time I hear stuff like this, is I'm always so doubtful of any of it. Like, how do you quantify it? We've yeah. had 36 less death threats from in, in, <laughs> in Q3. Year on year, year on year, we've had... We've dropped our allegations from the ele- from 700 to 300. Like, wh- <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just it doesn't happiness? sound very that don't just doesn't sound very good. <laughs> like I can't, yeah, it's hard to. Anyway, another uh, another point he makes is that quote we're dedicating more full time roles and resources to improving our culture. This includes a culture leader, a new organizational leader for human resources, who, as, as I understand, was a big part of Blizzard's. Oh, was it Blizzard? I've been so. I think I'm thinking of Ubisoft, actually. Never mind. Yeah, yeah, that was Ubisoft. Yeah, I'm sure it wasn't much better. Yeah, um, and a nope. diversity, <laughs> equity, and inclusion, or a DE and AI leader. Um, and they finished that little point up with, "We are committed to staffing these teams as a priority." So, I guess a lot of this is kind of being fast tracked to a degree, which is necessary, really. Um, yeah. So third. We, quote, tripled the size of our compliance investigation teams to clear, um, yeah, so to try to highlight, or try to, like, highlighting accountability for unacceptable behavior. Um, yeah, and that includes higher levels of the company as well. Um, a lot of this is kind of, like, stuff you kind of hope for, I think. Yeah, but... Um, it's worrying that it wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, fourth, we have... Quote, shared representation data internally with our teams and have set goals around improvement across these metrics. Lastly, we put in place an upward feedback program so that uh, employees have confidence in evaluating management. So I guess, you know, giving the lower level employees a bit more power, theoretically, to Mm. kind of keep higher level management accountable, um, which sounds necessary. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so all good stuff. We'll see how it actually works. Hopefully Blizzard being maybe kind of detached from like the Activision overlord, like mothership a bit, maybe mm. like more directly under Microsoft, depending on how they want to tackle it. Maybe stuff that some of this stuff will be more possible. Um I don't know. It's hard yeah, to but say. it's like I mean, we reported on the fact that Jen O'Neill, who was kind of like <clears throat> came over from leading Vicarious Visions, came over to be like co-president with Mike Ibarra at Blizzard. Like she only joined like a year ago and she left a couple of months ago because like, first of all, she wasn't paid the same as him, even though she had more tenure at Activision Blizzard than him Mm. and was doing the exact same job. Like even if they both had the exact same experience, she should have been paid the same. Yeah, but definitely. the fact that she had even more experience and more of a history with the company, that just like kind of made it worse. So it's like, why if Mikey Barra wanted to build trust, why didn't he start by building trust with the person he worked with? You know, by saying, "Hey, I think you're getting paid less than me," or "I know you're getting paid less than me. 
let's fix this. Yeah, it's you know what well, I mean. Not to defend it's, exactly, yeah. but I'm pretty sure. I think O'Neill mentioned like I think in an outgoing letter that I guess was leaked. Um, or no, no, I don't remember how it worked. She had an outgoing letter, and then she had like a subsequent kind of expose of her own. But I'm pretty sure she was like pretty careful not to point at Yabara specifically. So I imagine he yeah. didn't know. That's usually how these things go. Um, but maybe, maybe he did. I don't know. Can't really say to, mm. that we can trust him at all in any. Like, you, know, you can't trust anyone. <laughs> no, that's that's a great point yeah. to end this on. Um, but it's yeah, it's and, it's, hard, it's just hard to. Yeah. It feels like a good starting point, but just based on following the industry and seeing how it is in the last year or two, it's just hard yeah. to trust anything. So yeah, hopefully it works. Like hopefully, like I really do hope the acquisition means that this stuff will be easier to actually enact when Microsoft have like more weight and actually maybe have people in the company more who like value these like yeah. culture and like these characteristics more mm. than people Activision seemingly did. And it's and it's it's also something that is a problem across the entire professional world where you know you're measured on quantifiable things like hey how many calls did you make? How many sales did you make? How many games did you ship? what review score did you get you know did you hit certain like milestones did you hit certain like deadlines but they you, you don't really ha you know you don't see like okay h how much like how much have you given back to the team how much have you improved the culture how many people have you like mentored you know you know yeah like those types of things are things that should be part of kind of measuring success but they're not and maybe this is maybe this is a wake up call maybe this could be like the first time that you know a large company like this takes a step to making those things part of how you measure ma management success so maybe this this is the silver lining that we've been hoping for yeah oh, like mm. even further like i won't i don't know but um maybe you know it could even be like kind of a you know transparent guidelines like you know like for future companies to kind of go okay this is i mean they should know already obviously but it's um i don't know the more that it's like discussed and the more that's like just put out into the open like you know this is posted on like the official blog for people who aren't working there as well as people who are there so it's like mm. i don't know hopefully it just kind of spreads in a more esoteric way i guess i don't think i'm using that word right but it's yeah. um i don't know but um yeah so yeah, I guess speaking of oh, employees, before we move on, just to clarify, sorry, um, you know, to to like, in defense of Mikey Barra, I guess y you mentioned that you know, she didn't speak ill of him. I guess this this is something that was from November as well, like shortly after. Um, this this is from IGN shortly after Jen O'Neill had left. Um, Mikey Barra. Uh, IGN got some like internal emails and screenshots, messages of what Mikey Barra shared. Um, the quote is that, this is a difficult time for us, um, myself included. I've been asked and I want to make it clear. Jen and I shared with management that we wanted to be the same to co-lead Blizzard together. And he later clarified that, <clears throat> so this is like in follow-up to the, the Wall Street Journal, I think, report on kind of the inequality there, is that, uh, quote, Jen and I were both in existing contracts. I ran Battle.net and online products. 
and she ran Vicarious Visions, so her pay was different. The first time both Jen and I were offered a new contract, it was the same across both of us for the new co-leader of Blizzard Rolls, so our compensation was going to be the same. So, right. that was, um, yeah, so, apparently this was, yeah, so th- this is where he was, like, he's saying that, listen, there were contracts offered to us, but Jen O'Neill said that, you know, we were we went into it, into the same role, but on our existing compensation, which was not equivalent. And the thing is, right. it rem- and it remained that way for some time well after we made multiple rejected requests to change it to parity. End quote. So that's um, so that's that's like giving a little bit more context to what happened there. And I guess you know, Mikey Barra, you know, he didn't resign in solidarity. Um, I don't think he gave up like, you know, he didn't give up some of his like pay, so that he could be brought down to what uh, Jen was being paid. But you know, I guess like when you get to those levels, maybe it's a bit more diff. Like it's very easy to kind of like I guess lay blame and stuff but it, it it's interesting that both the co-presidents come to you and say hey if we want to get paid equally and management doesn't do anything about it right yeah that does <laughs> yeah. considering how up they are I imagine it's biotic or someone similar yeah, or like someone yeah, similarly high up so I don't know and knowing that yeah. it needs a I mean it should have a target really but it's like doesn't really matter much but um yeah anyway just thought I'd clarify sorry man yeah no that's good um, but <laughs> yeah, so next, um, ca- mostly yeah. good news. Yeah. Good news. Yeah. Really. It's just kind of in progress. Yeah. Um, so, um, I guess kind of to continue <laughs> the talk about Activision Blizzard, we reported, uh, we talked a couple of episodes ago about how, you know, uh, Raven Software, uh, the lead developer of Call of Duty Warzone, uh, had kind of made some promises to some quality assurance testers to give them kind of full-time or full-time equivalent positions. But then those went on it and they potentially were let go or they, you know, people had potentially moved to, I think it was Wisconsin, you know, like moved across country to set up their life in here on the promise that they might end up with a full-time job or like a permanent role with Raven. That did that kind of fell through. And I guess in, in the... In kind of like the following weeks, uh, ABK, so a better, what is it? A better ABK, which is kind of like the pseudo union that like made up of like Activision Blizzard and King workers, uh, essentially said that they, they organized strike action against the studio and Activision Blizzard. And that strike action has seemingly come to an end because uh, about 34 Raven Software Q&A staff formed the Game Workers Alliance Union over the weekend, or I guess Friday, in America. So, it's it's I guess it's a, it's good. It's probably one of the first times that we've seen a union happen within such a large kind of company, like a company like Activision Blizzard. And like we we got the standard statement of you know Activision Blizzard encourages staff to use direct methods of you know liaising with the company instead of you know going through a third party but they didn't like out and out out and out to kind of like you know deny the existence or like you know didn't want to kind of like undermine it so much um they they haven't like um yeah landed on where they wanted to go (laughs) (laughs) yeah but 
interestingly enough, like as this, like I guess a couple of days after this happened, so like I guess Monday American time, like today, uh, the uh, studio head uh, Brian Raffle allegedly sent an email to all Raven Software staff, and this was first reported by Polygon's Nicole Carpenter. So according to uh, the report, uh, Brian Raffle sent an email where he said, quote, in November, we began the process to convert our temporary employees to full-time equivalent status. Now, I'm excited to share that our Q&A colleagues will embed directly within various teams across the studio, including animation, art, design, audio, production, and engineering. So it's, so it's like, on one hand, yes, some of those Q&A testers that, you know, we... Sorry, not Q&A. <laughs> some of those QA <laughs> testers that, you know, maybe we, we led to believe would be given full-time roles, we actually are going to do that. But now it's interesting that they're all being essentially split up and being put into different parts of the company. Now, several times, Raffle and like kind of the subsequent like Activision Blizzard comment pointed out that hey this has been something that we've been, we've been working on for months like trying to I guess get ahead of the, the allegations that maybe this was done in response to the union like this is one way to kind of separate the union is to like physically not have the staff work together yeah like from look I don't know maybe I'm wrong but as I understand it the strike action itself is done because the union was formed but the union yes. hasn't been recognized yet it's yes. basically i think that's where it's at so it hasn't been like resolved yet you know so it's like on pause pretty much yeah so it's like and it's, i'm kind of wondering if like when qa people are made like full-time status because i don't think that's very I'm, i don't know i'm curious to know how off uh, common that is in the game industry i'd imagine it's not generally very. i think yeah I, I think there's like maybe a handful within the team and most of them are contractors yeah, so it's like I wonder if like actually assigning them to different sectors would make more sense than not because I could see the appeal mm. in that I suppose. But yeah, it, do- what, it doesn't. Yeah. It definitely looks like union breaking. <laughs> it doesn't look like much else. Um, but uh, it's all very unfortunate timing. <laughs> yeah, but it's like you know if, they're, if yeah. they're doing it, they're doing it kind of late, considering yep. unions already formed. It's not like they can't talk to each other anymore. <laughs> but the, the the potential spanner in the works, and this is something that uh, Nicole Carpenter kind of tweeted about afterwards is that i think in the u.s for a union to be recognized there has to be kind of like a shared identity you know saying that we are the q and a sorry we are the qa division of this studio but now we are the qa people within multiple teams of a studio right. but the studio but the staff of the studio itself the majority of the staff aren't joining us in this union so potentially there could be some like there could be some hurdles there where it, it seemed a bit more straightforward last week where you could say we're from a shared department. You know, we're from a shared kind of um, a shared part of the business. Now you're split across the business, but you don't have the majority of, you know, you don't have a majority or you don't have, you know, like a majority of each department on your side in the union or looking to, you know, unionize, right? Right. And n- like... In the email, like Brian Raffle said that, you know, p- the motivation for this allegedly is because it makes sense if you want to improve quality, why not put quality testers, instead of being in their own department, embed them in different teams so that they can do the quality control right there. 
and you can fix things within you know while working closely with artists working with animators working with designers audio teams and things like that so it, it, it makes sense from a logistical point of view it's just the timing of it sounds suspect you know what yeah I mean? definitely that's yeah. that's the problem that note about how unions function in the u.s is like okay that that kind of makes it clearer <laughs> that there's probably a you know purpose behind it um yeah that's the that's the tricky part like it sounds like definitely something that um like lawyers maybe got involved and said hey this is one way we can get ahead of it number two this is how you can position it and number three uh talk about the fact that it's been talked about previously that you were going to do this so that you can point to it and say hey this just happened to happen at this time yeah that's yeah, yeah, another mm. frustrating bit of news, uh, but it, you know, it like in well, I don't know. I it's hard to say whether what matters and what doesn't, but hopefully, it's a good like first move, first push towards union efforts yeah. in the US because that's been yeah difficult, to say the least. Mm. Um, so yeah. I don't know. Even if like it sounds like, I'm curious if like even if if nothing comes of it, I wonder if it means much. But I guess mm. it's not. I guess it it's not like harmful you know so it's like yeah it's good to see hopefully that something comes out of it i'm glad to see those qa yeah. people actually rewarded for their efforts um, yeah. it just for exactly. the short term but um yeah i don't know we'll yeah. see and 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 the thing is like i hope that we don't see management turn around and be like hey we gave you jobs now you want to unionize like don't be greedy you know you don't want that you don't want them to kind of use that defense. Like it, it, it could be like kind of informally suggested rather than, you know, being actually said. It's, you know what I mean? It's like those like, the, obviously there's different tactics for breaking up unions and I guess like kind of succumbing to prior demands. It, It's kind of like, oh, well, we've done it. What do you, what do you, what else do you want? It's, it's you know what I mean? Mm. Not even yeah, talking about crunch and other things that, you know, are issues as well. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, yeah. We'll see how that goes. Mm. But um, now we have some actual good news. Kind of. <laughs> I guess it's good. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so small bit of news. I don't know, like, I don't know. I feel like we might not talk about it ever again. <laughs> but um, yeah. Sony Pictures Classics um, has picked up the rights to an animated movie called A Winter's Journey. And part of it will be made in Dreams the PlayStation exclusive that's on PS4 and PS5, um, made yeah. by Media, Media Molecule. Molecule. That's it. Yep. Um, yeah, so first feature film using, like, that will make use of dreams. Mm. Um, we'll, like, the plan from, when I, like, from what's been reported is that it will blend live action with CG and hand-painted animation, and it's an adaptation of Franz Schubert's set of 24 songs for voice and piano, called winter ice which i don't know i don't know that what that is <laughs> so yeah. we'll see it sounds very um you know it's probably like one of those things where it's like one of those um it's like it's those collection of songs that tells a story when you hear the whole thing right and like you're basically converting that into a film maybe it's like a little vignettes and stuff so i guess that's where the using something like dreams is great because you can just it's like what Disney does with Star Wars and Unreal Engine, right? Like, because a lot of the sets and stuff can be made virtually, that's why they can make shows back-to-back, like, at, and yeah. still maintain that high quality. So maybe it's something similar here, but on, like, a more, like, a like a smaller scale. Yeah. So I suppose it'll be kind of a more, you know, high-end, or, like, 
I'm not sure how to say like cultured, I guess. Like it's going to be a more period piece sort of rather than just like, was it Ice Age or something, I guess. It sounds like yeah. it'll be beyond just like, <laughs> you know, kids animated films. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm kind of curious, like talking, thinking about it now, it's like, are they going to be using like PS5 controllers to like be doing this? Like, is this like, is that all there? Is it literally what it sounds like? Like when the, I think when the PS2 was like first shown off, uh, like one of the selling things on the news was like, oh, you know, imagine um, having the graphical fidelity of Toy Story, but animated in real time. Yeah. Like that was kind of the the potential for something like that back then. So I guess it's it's finally happening. It's just, you know, 20 years later. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this will, A Winter's Journey is meant to be the first, well, reportedly, the first time dreams will be used on a feature film but it's um not the first time it's been used in this kind of project this is something mm. i was already aware of so i just included it <laughs> um yeah so there's a there's a group called cyber sheep film which is kind of basically like dreams fans you know like um cool. they've used um they made a first episode of this like samurai jack inspired like cartoon like 3d animated series called naguchi's Sweet. bell um, yep. which like so if you want to see kind of like maybe what it can turn out like like what this could be potentially look like, not maybe not look like but you know like the quality that it could reach because this is like a dedicated team so i think they've had like a kickstarter that i'm not sure if it was funded or not they had one <laughs> uh, i know they're still developing it so whatever so it's like they're still doing it whether that was funded yeah. or not um so it's like it's impressive to be honest but it's, um, yeah, just to get a taste of what Dreams can do just for, like, actual, you know, lengthy film. Well, I'm not sure if it's film. I wasn't actually sure what to call it because it's not a television show. I think it's, a, it's like a series. Like, web series, I guess. A web series, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah. So, just to wrap it up, shooting is expected to start in June in Poland. Um, John Malkovich and Jason Isaacs are set to star. And so, yeah, we probably won't hear about it for, again for a while. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, um, in other studio news, I guess, um, yeah, that's, uh, I guess like t in, in terms of talking about legacy and, you know, kind of moving forward and new announcements, the next, uh, next, I guess, s new like studio coming out of Japan is going to be called, uh, Nagoshi Studio and it's named after its founder, and uh, president and CEO uh, Toshiho Toshihiro Nagoshi, who uh, folks might know as the kind of the co-creator slash kind of creative lead of the Yakuza series and uh, and um, the Ryuga Gotok Studio, which uh, which was behind Judgment and um, Yakuza. Uh, it's it's being he's setting this up with funding from NetEase, which I think is a Korean. I think it's a South Korean kind of gaming slash online company. Yeah, they're so very it's, similar it's to Tencent. Yeah, now they operate. Like they've been so. around for a while. Yeah, yeah. So, um, it's it's going to be based in Shibuya, which I believe is a like a, a district of Tokyo. Like, I think so, but I, I could be I could be wrong. Please don't quote me on that. <laughs> um, uh, I'm sure it's been in the Persona game. Anyway, <laughs> Nagoshi's <laughs> comments, uh, like in terms of like. Uh, around the announcement on the official site, so like it, it kind of implies that there might have been a lack of creative freedom towards the tail end of his time at Sega slash Ryugago Talk Studio. 
this is a quote from him. I believe that the first step to creating high-quality titles and delivering the essence of entertainment with strong motivation starts with creating an open atmosphere in the studio. This means having open-ended discussions that ignore seniority and hierarchy. This means not fearing mistakes while also not being afraid to correct them and treating failures as assets. This means not giving up on reaching the ideal and fighting to get closer to it. Yeah, that that sounds like That's, the kind of yeah. troubles that a Japanese company would yeah, have. Encounter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, encounter. Definitely. Better, yeah. And it also sounds like something that maybe, you know, I, I guess Kojima would have wanted to say. Yeah. Well, it's like, it sounds like Konami, the kind of problems maybe? that would be very hard to reform. Like, yeah. you know... Let what it doesn't matter where quiet, but in Japan, I feel like it's it's so entrenched um, that it's like yeah. yeah I'd imagine making a whole new studio and like rebuilding yeah. altogether, it'd probably be mistakes easier. are punished. Perfect, nothing less than perfection. You know, there's it, it's still like you know it may be a stereotype, but there still is a lot of that kind of like honor and a lot of kind of like someone has to be the fall person, the fall guy for you know failures and mistakes. Whereas like I guess maybe um working with more western developers or maybe you know being able to kind of speak to fans more directly over the past few years because traditionally like i guess even even 10 years ago developer japanese developers wouldn't talk to fans right like i i, I guess yeah like you know uh, like sakurai the person behind super smash brothers he became like someone that would connect with fans um you know Steve Harada from the Tekken team like he's always on Twitter and stuff like that that kind of became a thing I guess since like Street Fighter 4 and Yoshinori Ono who was kind of like the the, the mascot for the Street Fighter franchise at Capcom like like before that you kind of you kind of knew names but you never heard from them maybe like an interview from like IGN or something once in a while yeah but I think through the advent of Twitter and online forums and Reddit and everything like there's a lot more kind of communication between developers and 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 I guess the consumers the the fans and maybe this is creating a shift in Japanese like gaming culture where they're like you know what we we like you know we sh- it shouldn't just be make or break like we have we exist we people outside recognize us as like humans who have like you know goals have ideas and as creative people so we should be treated like that not like machines and i think maybe this is like a like another uh, another person just leaving that machine you know what Mm. i mean yeah i also want to say yeah yeah i'm kind of curious to see how sega companies operate in general but like Mm. um i do want to say like i wasn't trying to generalize japan culture generally though the corporate culture is pretty well known but i do want to say it's like it's it's very unsurprising it would be very unsurprising if the Ryu Gakutoku studio operated like this, considering they get games out like one and a half years at a time. That's and crazy, they're always man. very high quality <laughs> too. And they're always like, yeah. you know, they're getting better and like, or like they're getting better like technically, like they're adding to it, to their mm. products over time. So it's like the rate at which they create stuff is like so far above most yeah. of the world in general. And so 100%. it's like, I could understand why he would want to break out of it after decades of that. Yeah, um, if he, especially if NetEase is like, um, especially if it is like a Korean or you know just outside of Japan where it operates, yeah. like they, I mean, I'm not sure if it would be better, but I imagine there'll be more room to develop a, yeah. co- develop a company within the yeah. bounds 
Oh yeah, also because you mentioned Kojima as well, and that mm. definitely feels similar considering it's called Nagoshi yeah. Studio. <laughs> it's kind of the same. <laughs> it feels like NetEase is trying to yeah. create their own, you know, auteur-led yeah. studio, and Nagoshi's not Why a bad not? one for it. Yeah, um, he's he's definitely like he's not he's not at like a Kojima, Kojima level of like or you know Sakurai or. Uh, uh, Yamazaki, um, Hidetaki, sorry, was it? Yeah, Hidetaki Miyazaki. Oh, I forget his surname. Miyazaki, the yes, Souls guy from from uh, yeah from from software. Yeah, like you know, but he's definitely up there. Like if you're a fan of Sega, oh sorry, yeah, or if you're a fan of like Yakuza, or if you're a fan of like third person action games, or even just Japanese games, you probably have heard of this guy. And, and the team that he's had and you've got a, a certain amount of respect especially because like I feel like the last handful of Yakuza games have have, s- have sold well and have reviewed well mm. like they've always kind of been like cult favourites and they've always had kind of like their like you kind of forgave them because they were from Japan like they weren't as polished as like an like a GTA or something right but I feel like even the most like from Yakuza 5 0 6 Kiwami, like people really like those games, and and they expanded from like just making games on like PS2 and PS3 to now you know there's PS4 releases and then there's PC releases and then Xbox releases now you know what I mean like there's definitely a lot of output and something's got to give I bet yeah they've yeah that's a good point because they're still making I think the idea because we reported on it a little while ago where I butchered all Mm. their names Um, (laughs) where um. It's all good. I think the idea is that like Yakuza will kind of be a pillar and Judgment will be a pillar beside it. You know, they'll have like kind of two road, like two tracks, which I feel like games don't do too often anymore. Like you used to see it a lot before, but like when they could like develop games at a faster pace, but now it's kind of like everyone needs to work on this one game. We can't really work things parallel. But um, yeah, I mean, that's like how Ubisoft was with Assassin's Creed. Like one studio would work on this one, then another studio would work on next next year's game. Or like, remember Infinity Ward and Treyarch? Like, okay, yeah. this year's Black Ops, this year's a Modern Warfare. Um, mm. But yeah, I don't know if that's as common now. Mm. Maybe. Yeah, it's I, like yeah. well, it's like I think of it. Well, I don't know. It's kind of a different point. Point. But I've been I think about it every so often with Rockstar and that how they usually used to do it is that that like they have the large scale GTA game that was made primarily by North. And then they'll have like their spin-offs that kind of pretty transparently yeah. develop the technology that will feed back into the GTA <laughs> yeah. series, which I think Table is a really tennis. cool way of doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because that was like their first go with the new engine that they used yeah. for GTA 4. And it's like, it's a cool way of doing things. And you don't 100%. see it much anywhere anymore because it's just so huge, scale, like high scale. Yeah. And it's like, it's the, sad. The only place you might see it is that it's now disguised as remasters or remakes. Well, even that's not too bad, but it is. It is yeah. worse, I guess. <laughs> it's not. Yeah. It's not quite as exciting. Yeah, but it's, yeah. um Because it's like, hey, we're like, here's a beloved game that's coming back. Oh, by the way, this is a great chance for us to get used to this new platform. Yeah. And why not sell some copies as well? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's like, Rockstar Table Tennis was like, what the f- what? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. Oh. But, yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, but I'm very, I'm very curious. Oh yeah, and it's like we don't know. Yeah, because you mentioned like Goshi not being like maybe not being at the level of Kojima and Sakurai and a few others. And it's like I do wonder if that's got more to do with him being beholden to Sega for so long. Like, I, I, like, because yeah. I think like as of like last year, he said, 
I'm not gonna leave Sega unless something happens. And I think he was demoted or something <laughs> around that time. So I guess I something remember happened. hearing about that. Yeah, he, yeah, and it it wasn't like it, it didn't sound like he left in the best terms. <laughs> Let's yeah, not put it that way. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's um, I don't know. Yeah, but like, my point was like. Mm. We haven't like we haven't seen what he wants to do necessarily. Like he's always done yeah. a good job on Yakuza, but he's um, you know, we'll see. Like, are they going to be making something entirely new, or are they going to try and make a Yakuza-like successor? I don't know. Like, we'll see. Mm. I guess. I mean, I guess there's not much else to talk about other than that. But it's like I'm yeah. curious to see what else he's <laughs> capable of if he's really like yeah. leading it with his creative vision, considering it's named after him. <laughs> yeah, because like I mean, that's what happened. Like Yu Suzuki. I guess it was like he was a legend at um, uh, Sega. Like he's the guy behind Shenmue, and like like uh, like or pff, I don't Wait. know. Like he's he's done a lot of things there. Yeah, then he made he like, like Outrun, sh- Outrun, and, and all that and stuff. Like all classic Sega you think of until yeah, like, like Shenmue <laughs> was like him. Yeah, and he yeah, made kind a of lot like of those left. Yeah. And then like uh, Yuji Naka, who was the um, the guy who created Sonic the Hedgehog, or he was like. He was like this, like from Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, from Sonic the Hedgehog. Like, he's like kind of the co creator of that. And, like, kind of like, um, also, I think he was also involved in, I think, was it Balan Wonderworld? I think it was like the most recent kind of like, uh, like, major game from him, which is like apparently like, it was yeah, crazy. Like, people, it was a very crazy game. <laughs> yeah, because he also created Dreams, right? Or like the. Sega Night, Dreams? Yeah, n- dream, yes, yes. So, like, um, yeah, because that, that's what, uh, it, what it was Knights. a successor to. Yeah. Oh, is it Knights? Knights Dreams, that's yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so, you know, never know. This could be, like, we'll see if it's successful or not. Like, he's brought in yeah. a lot of people from his old studio. Like, a lot of people have followed yeah. him over. Like, it's pretty much the exact situation of Kazima, <laughs> just yeah. with less drama and ego behind it. Exactly, yeah. Um, so, yeah, because, yeah. yeah. Because, like, uh, like the former, like, Yakuza director, Daisuke Sato, uh, and six other former Sega devs, like, I think five of those six actually worked on Yakuza and, and Judgment, yeah. <laughs> like, until yeah. recently. So, it, it's pretty clear that, you know, he was kind of, like, maybe he was that leader, and everyone really liked working in that environment, but just got fed up of the politics or the bullshit around them. Mm-hmm. And they just, like, let's, like, he's just like, hey... I'm starting something over here. I can't talk about it just yet, but come on over. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Hey, we wish him luck. It'll be, <laughs> yeah, I wonder it'll if we'll hear much, much more drama at all. <laughs> yeah. Because I feel like we're like imposing a little bit, but like, um, yeah. Know, maybe we'll maybe he was just like, yeah, I'm bored. I want to do something else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, we're, we're kind of um, projecting maybe a little bit there. <laughs> <laughs> we need it. <laughs> Well, that's going to do it for the major news stories from this past week. It's, uh, yeah, definitely a lot to digest. Haha. <laughs> a lot to take in. Yeah, please, please do, like, write in podcast at doublejump.co. What do you think the, you know, Microsoft acquiring Activision Blizzard, do you think that's a positive or a negative for the gaming industry? I'd be definitely interested in, in uh, hearing your thoughts. But, you know, let's, let's talk about some more lighter topics. And let's talk about some of the, I guess, some of the pop culture that we've been enjoying recently. Last week, we did promise that I'd let you, you know, 
talk about Peacekeeper, the the John Cena-led uh, kind of spin-off of The Suicide Squad, the the kind of reboot slash remake from two years ago now. Um, oh. Yeah, like... Wait, the yeah, reboot the was? 2020. The, the, the reboot was from 2020, I think, yeah. Oh, it was last year, wasn't it? I thought it was... 2021? Oh, maybe it was announced for 2020 and got pushed. It's probably yeah, one of those movies. Yeah, that probably is right. <laughs> Um, yeah, and the original movie, the last Suicide Squad movie was, like was 2016 like, or something. So recently. Um, Question. Anyway. Yep. I've just watched Suicide, The Suicide Squad recently. I think it was okay. I think the whole thing with the starfish towards the end, I think there was like a good end to the movie and then it just, then there was like the extra 20 minutes that was just unnecessary. Okay. Like, I, I didn't, I like, I don't know. I don't, I don't see it as a 90% Rotten Tomatoes movie. Uh, I don't know. What, what what did you think? Just like your general thoughts about the movie. Um, I thought Suicide Cause was very, very good. I don't know. I don't really, I don't really agree with the Starro thing. I, I but maybe it's just because I like Starro a lot already. Um, so I was kind yeah. of excited to see it. But I was like, I liked how it ended, where it's like, it doesn't really end with like the giant. Oh, I mean, it does end with like the giant, may you know, big spectacle kind of moment. But yeah. it's it's so apathetic about it in a way that's kind of refreshing. So yeah, so maybe that was like. I don't know. Like I, I felt bad for Star. <laughs> like, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like I, I think I expected better. Like that's all. Like that's what all Skill Side Squad is. You know, it's like it's very dirty and not yeah. really good, even when it's at its best. You know, like it's always yeah, kind of. That's why I was like, okay, this is a James Gunn kind of like take on the superhero thing, right? And you know how like you always take down the big bad at the end. How about in this, you don't take down the big bad. The big bad was actually good, and you just like let him go. I think Starro was like kind of. Oh, I guess he was like nurtured to be evil. Like, he just wanted. He just wanted to. F- like he literally said, "I just want." I, I was happy floating, looking at the stars. Yeah, I was like, yeah, "Fuck, right. man, that is so tragic." <laughs> yeah, it's very. It's very. Uh, it's very yeah. sad because, like, I was thinking as well. It's like in the comics, kind of recently, there was like a mini version of him called Jaro because he was held in a jar. He was like, oh, it's, hard to, it's it's kind of a. Oh, there's not much of a backstory for it, but it, it's kind of inside a pretty zany plotline in the comics that went for a little while but it's yeah. like um anyway so there's was like was he in the comics before yeah he's like no. an old okay. old comic villain he's like okay, je- he's like gotcha. a justice league level one who's exactly as threatening as he was in the movie except i think he's okay. probably a bit more powerful there oh in the comics i mean I, i'm not super yeah. familiar with him oh, okay um, he was but, the first like super villain for the justice league like, oh his first the one okay. 60s like yeah. he, was, he was introduced in the 60s. Okay, I gotcha. But he's a very, very right. high level threat, which is kind of part of the fun of having Suicide Squad deal with it. Because it's just yeah. like absurd, the idea that you just get all these losers to take on Starro of all things. But, yeah, um, see, I didn't get that. That context yeah, wasn't given. Well, I think it's movie. still there though. It's still like this absurd threat. It's like destroying an entire cube, not Cuba. It's like, <laughs> you know, like it's still, I still yeah. think it's there. But um, yeah. Yeah, I get. I kind of gotcha. get what you mean there, but it's like, um, yeah, like I, I largely enjoy. I thought it was like largely successful at what I wanted to do. I, I liked it a gotcha. bit more than the Guardians movies overall. Yeah, I think it's yeah. like that's because like Gunn tends to be better when he's a bit more crass in my mind. Um, yeah, like, like this movie definitely was like lots of guts, lots of swearing. I love like the different titles that they had. Like, I, I think I enjoyed the humor in this definitely more than than original suicide squad like yeah <laughs> i don't know that movie was like but i have a feeling that 
Gunn made this movie knowing full well that the person watching this movie has seen Suicide Squad because the backstories and stuff aren't filled in as much like about Amanda Waller and Flag. You just know, okay, he's a military guy. She's like the like crazy, like jingoistic American kind of like, you know, yeah. ends justify the means person mm. from like the... from from like the David Ayer movie. So I'm like, okay, so I had the context from that because they're literally playing the same characters. <laughs> yeah, they, they, um, Flag is like quite different. He's like much looser and just a generally much more fun character because I like the yeah, actor like, who plays him yeah. a lot, even though he's yeah, kind yeah. of like, he's not that distinct, but I find I like him a lot. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, um, yeah. I forget his name. because <laughs> he was in, Joel Kinnaman. That's right. Yeah, because yeah, he was in Altered Carbon. Yeah, that, yeah and um, he was in the Apple show who's also whose name i also forget the space <laughs> one um, okay oh it's got like a, I, I do i do know that he was also in um robocop he was robocop in the reboot yeah hang on i'm looking it up you'll probably hear my keyboard on the oh it's thing. called foundation no is that no that's the other space that's one uh i have apple but i don't even I've, uh, i only watched ted lasso on it i haven't seen anything else i probably should that's all. Well, I guess there isn't too much else. But <laughs> um, for yeah. all mankind, that's what it's called. It's a pretty great alt history thing. Yes, um, that he's like the main character of. Anyway, and that's like set during like the NASA like space, like kind of the sixties, right? Or like the space yeah, race era. The first one. Okay. The first one is like an alt history take on the space race being like a gotcha. directly against Russia. I mean, well, no, yeah. Russia gets there first and it kind of changes the way it goes. Oh, and okay, the cool. Se- the second season jumps ahead like a decade or something. And cool. it's like, they jump ahead like big spans of time, at least so far. Yeah. And it's, it's I really Makes like sense. it. I, as someone who, <laughs> I will, I'm sure it'll come up again in the future. I like <laughs> stupidly love time skips and things. So it's like yeah. actually like a big, <laughs> it's a, <laughs> I have a lot of affection for anything that uses it liberally. Um, yeah. Gotcha. Anyway, I... To get back to Suicide Squad, <laughs> um, I, yeah, I generally enjoyed it. I'll just finish yeah. with that. Um, and Peacemaker is also written and directed by Gunn, I think entirely. Oh, good. Okay. Um, so yeah. it, it has the exact same energy to it. Just, like it's just Cena's character. Like John Cena's character is fucking hilarious. Like, yeah, he's like very he, good at like, it. Yeah. Like I was like, like apparently really sh- Gunn said play a Mac- Captain America as if he was a douchebag. Makes mm. sense. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> I was like, I was been thinking recently about like something reminded me about how the I did I did we talk about the Rock the other week or was that me was talking about someone else? No. Okay, no. good. <laughs> uh, the Rock, as in Dwayne Johnson, or the yeah. Rock, as in the movie. Okay, Dwayne <laughs> yeah, Johnson. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was thinking the other day because I was reminded of how the Rock became like a big mega action star because of Fast and Furious Five. Which I didn't yeah. realize. Like, I kind of, like, it's been like a little while now That's that I true, realized, actually. like, I thought he got like a, I knew he was famous, but I didn't realize that was the movie that pushed him into like completely out of the planet famous, you know? <laughs> like, into that yeah. level of star. I didn't realize it was that movie specifically. I figured it was something else. And yeah, I was now thinking. That you mention it, yeah. You're and right. I was, I was like, because, you know, that was that stupid tiff with him and Vin Diesel about like yeah. Vin Diesel being like condescending to him and now he's out of the franchise and so on and so forth. Like not being man enough and bullshit like that. Yep. Yeah, it's it's very it's just kind of dumb to be honest. But it's um I was yeah, <laughs> which brings me to my point is that um The Rock has never been a particularly good actor. He not he hasn't really tried to be. I think he's had a couple of roles where he's been like better than usual, like he's really kind yeah. of tried, 
but rarely yeah, he yeah. doesn't because he doesn't need to and he's like he usually like just kind run of down and stuff like that like those like kind of like low-key action yeah and like apparently like, pain know. and gain remember that movie the michael bay movie from a while ago yes i haven't seen it but like yeah apparently that movie like that was, was yeah apparently he was quite <laughs> good in that because he was playing a bit more of a character rather than just himself like nice foot yeah. nice rock star <laughs> you know like it's always yeah. that um yeah that's true actually yeah but I was like thinking, he just basically plays himself in like Jumanji. Yeah, even when he's like in Jumanji too, he's like there's like a thing where he's like playing Danny DeVito's character, and it still feels like yeah. The Rock. <laughs> yeah, like it just feels like The Rock impersonating DeVito and doing a pretty like half like mediocre job of it. <laughs> uh, finally, yes. that brings me to my point, which is that Cena is a very, very like this is actually such a great performance from him like because if you watch peacemaker as well it's like even better because he's gotten like a lot of material to work with there like Good. and it's like it's very like for, for like compared to the rock who was like i don't really like judging it it's just that he keeps his roles very safe and basically the same across movies and that's like that's his prerogative you know and people like it but i've seen it's going like he's it's actually a thing that i guess it kind of plays off his like you know super clean image um, in wrestling and as like a star as a famous person yeah but it's like he's so he's so good at it like he's actually performing in an act as an actor <laughs> rather than just as a star yeah. playing a character kind and of he looks like he's enjoying it yeah he's very good at it it's like and um <laughs> anyway I, i'm not sure i have much else to say it's like he's yeah. he's like easily like the best part of peacemaker in a show that's actually filled with very good performers and very good oh, writing. That's good and he's that, like, that's, yeah, that's good, man. Yeah, and he's, he's like, he's, I would say he's the best part of it, which he should be, really, because it's yeah. his show. But it's like, he definitely makes it worthwhile. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess, like, because you haven't seen Peacemaker at all, right? No, I'm waiting for it to show up in streaming somewhere. I'm pretty sure it's on binge. Um, if you need to, I'm waiting for it to show up on streaming somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but binge isn't HD. Or like it's pseudo HD and isn't surround sound. Yeah, it's and really it's 2022. <laughs> so I'm like, um, like I I rented Suicide the Suicide Squad on Apple TV. It was like seven bucks. Right. But it was like Dolby everything Atmos. Every, like it was like like Blu-ray almost Blu-ray quality. I'm like, okay, I'd rather do this than you know watch it watch it somewhere else and like really like for free, quote unquote free. Yeah. So uh, that's why I'm hoping it comes to like s- something soon. Yes, yeah, something else. Um, something else, yeah. Oh, uh, like I'd, it'd be nice if HBO Max actually came into Australia and just like yeah, ate off VPN. binge. Even though it's like I understand it's like the same service essentially, just done by Foxtel. But HBO yeah, Max sounds yeah. good from what I've heard of it, so I'd like that. Hundred percent, man. Yeah, and the quality and everything. Like anyway, it's, yeah. it's it, they just got better shit over there. Let's just we know that I don't even care about the content I like I really just want the platform part because it's just yeah. so much better Binge sucks yeah because I remind Fox me now was better and that was like bad <laughs> oh yeah this is like a wild tangent oh it's like the same thing but it's we won't talk about it much is like um, we have mentioned before our anime lab like because yeah. um, you mentioned you watched Gundam on it and yeah. like that's over Great now platform. because it was like bought by Funimation and Funimation's yeah. platform is so shoddy by comparison so these are anime yeah. platforms, people who you, don't know. Yeah, you've you've used it, yeah. So you know the pain. <laughs> yeah, Anime Lab is very, very good. 
and it's yeah. very frustrating. Like, I haven't checked in with the Funimation since it was purchased, so maybe they've done more it's, than I realized. But it was so bad. Yeah, it but was it's like, like so bad. <laughs> why can't they just take Anime Lab and rebrand it? Because it was very that, good already. Like, just do that, man. Like, you know, like let's let's talk about you know acquisitions, right? This is the bad way an acquisition can go because you already had something that was really good running independently, and now they like you know they've got the they've got the expertise but now because of the redundancy you might see people leave and be let go who created an amazing platform that's right there i mean yeah. i, w- I would have said hey sony uh, you know or whatever whoever owns funimation be like hey i i we love what you've got here in the background let's work to like we'll basically work and create a new version of funimation based on anime lab but no one has like i mean people who know know like it's in the code or whatever, but like, and and like relaunch it in 2022 is like you know Funimation 2.0 or whatever it is. Yeah. But it's essentially Anime Lab, and it would run great. You could everything would load like, like when Gundam came out on Funimation, like they had 26 episodes, whatever the episodes were, like 50 episodes, right? But the titles hadn't loaded, the images hadn't loaded, the descriptions hadn't loaded. So I'm just like sitting there, I'm like, so is it live? Is it not live? Yeah, and it was and it was after the cutoff where new content wasn't coming to Anime Lab, so I could have just like I I could have logged into Anime Lab, but it wasn't there because it was technically Funimation exclusive. Oh yeah, right. And that's like ah frustrating. Mm. It's and and yeah, (laughs) and like and Netflix got the rights to uh, the like Gundam Hathaway and Gundam Shah's Attack, like like the 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 two kind of newer, I guess not newer, but like the two later parts of the show. And like, but the in between part that I want to watch isn't on gun, isn't on there. So I had to kind of pirate it that way. It was just a frustrating thing. And like, you know, I don't know for some reason, like anime websites or whatever, they just assume everyone's a pervert and everything's just filled with pop ups and dumb shit. Yeah. yeah. D- I'm like, oh God, this is why people used to torrent everything. <laughs> <laughs> like, used to. Uh, <laughs> but um. anyway. <laughs> Anyway, uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that was my fault. Um, like, <laughs> um, oh, I'll just wrap just, up by yeah, saying Peacemaker yeah. is... Uh, it's four episodes in. I'm pretty sure it's... I think it's like seven ep- Oh, I don't remember. I think I remember... I, I think I assumed it was ten. I'm not sure if it is. I think I, I should look it up, actually. But it's a weekly show. It's not like a dump everything at the beginning show. They started with three episodes all at once, and now it's weekly. Okay. Yeah. So that's smart. Yeah, it's a good amount, you know. I was yeah, thinking that you, recently you where like... Yeah, I was thinking that recently, <laughs> which will lead into our next part very well, was how Netflix like kind of suffered big losses because they didn't hit their subscriber count recently. Mm. Yeah. Um, and they seem to be kind of on the downswing as these competitors in mainly in the US have like really yeah. come for them. Um, so I was thinking like yesterday how like I don't really love all at once drops. Like I think like part of, I think like I think I was like kind of layering these thoughts with like Game Pass as well. Yeah. How like you know, Game Pass is going to be probably the same, where it's just like a game every week sort of thing, at least a yeah. game every week. Um, I was thinking about how Netflix drops all at once, and it does it with all these shows all the time. So none of them really yeah. have the potential to like gain momentum and snowball into something interesting, unless they're like popular right off the bat, which yeah. only happens occasionally. So it's like all mm. these really good shows that could develop into something really strong, but they're not really given the opportunity to because it's like. You know, just yeah. like throwing them into the deep end. It's like you better and go. It just becomes <laughs> like a rush to like finish it to avoid spoilers rather than 
you know, when it's a weekly release, you kind of check in, you have a discussion about that week's episode, like how people used to do, yeah, you know, for like major TV. So it's kind of weird how like we're kind of craving a little bit of what how things used to be. Mm. Yeah, because I was like, <laughs> um, like how they're so they have so few like mega properties, because like you know Disney have like so little right now. Like they have like their big shows they come that come up every couple months I think right lately yeah like you know Boba Fett's the current one and like people are talking about it every and, week and, and it Moon feels Knight's like a big deal March yeah March sorry oh, was it March okay so you know yeah. like oh yeah Boba Fett's going for a little while I think I think it's going yeah. for seven episodes that's right that's what I was thinking of with the ten episode thing that's right yes because <laughs> <laughs> like uh, Marvel had that where it was like you can have ten shorter episodes or like six really good episodes yeah because i was thinking about that because mandalorian has 10 episodes right like each season yeah and i was thinking it's like oh does boba fett have 10 then i went and looked and it's seven and that's why i'm getting yeah. confused with peacemaker and then which longer. i don't know <laughs> yeah exactly yeah because like i watched episode four like yesterday and it was like um have you seen episode four of boba? Yeah, yeah the book of boba fett so like like it's kind of like continuing the backstory now it kind of like shows how he kind of rescued shand fennec shand uh, which is the 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 Ming-Na, um assassin's character, who who's beside him. Like, it, it's it's kind of cool. Like, it 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 shows. Um, <laughs> again, it humanizes a character that like no one expected to be humanized ever. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Boba Fett was just the guy in the suit who brought in Han, like Han Solo. But it's cool seeing how it's like kind of like humanizing him. Again, I do wish that the. <laughs> the the um the sand people that they call them the Tuscan Raiders continued, like they yeah. continued existing because they definitely were a good part of the story. But yeah, um, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, what I did actually, you think of the episode? It's been a week, I think, because I think it comes. The next episode comes out today, something like that. Um, I think it's like every Wednesday. I think. Oh, okay. So I'm and always late. My apologies. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, no, it's like I tend to like I tend to watch it kind of quickly. So I've just kind of yep. forgotten a lot of it. I remember laughing a lot at the first half for some reason. No, the reason was that I was really surprised at how pointless it was. Like they ended up spending <laughs> like 20 minutes on this like ship save, like saving like Boba yep. Fett's ship and like His saving slave one ship. Yep. I was like nothing, ha- like nothing happens. Like no, no plot development at all. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> like, I already knew he saved the like sidekick. I already knew he has his ship. Like, why do I need to have this stuff filled in? Like these are <laughs> unnecessary gaps to fill in. <laughs> These were the questions we needed to be, like, needed answered. And also, do they show him getting his armor back? Uh, doesn't that That's happen the in next the Mandalorian? Piece. No, no. Um, yeah, because the, like, yes, justified, he, <laughs> justified guy, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah, his name yeah, is. Yeah, uh, Timothy Oliphant. Right. Um, yeah, his, his character. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Because, like, we saw, like, um, Boba Fett, uh, like, the, like, the, 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 Ewoks kind of is it Ewoks or the Jawas? Oh, I think it's Ewoks. Anyway, the little, Wait, the little Jaw- bear dudes. No, Jawas are on Yavin. The Ewoks are on Tatooine, I think. Wait, I thought Ewoks are on like the little moon in Return. No, that's I thought those were the Jawas. No, no, like the one with slingshots and stuff. Yeah, those are the Jawas. I think no, the Ewoks, Ewoks were the ones. <laughs> Ewoks are the, like koala bears. What? Jawas are the ones with like you know. Ah uh, yes. Okay, yeah. <laughs> not yeah. going crazy. Yeah, so the Ewoks are the... Yes, okay. Jawas are the one in, on Tatooine. They're the ones in the hoods who kind of like, um, you know, salvage 
uh, like they're the ones who like kind of like in Star Wars lore, they're the ones who um scavenge and salvage and sell droids and parts to people. <laughs> and they're the ones who found C three PO and R two D two and sold it to Luke. So so there was like a bit in the first episode where they showed them like stripping Boba Fett of his armor and for some reason Boba Fett didn't remember that. Like even though he was conscious for it, but I guess maybe he was just too hazy from the like apparently he survived acid or something. Like yeah, from yeah. the Sarlacc stuff. I think that's another thought I had was like something I re- I would be more interested in is he, like Bobo's relationship with the Mandalorian culture because that's something that kind yeah. of I don't think it's it's really delved into properly in the first in the Mandalorian show, but it, you know you get a sense yeah. of it and like how yeah. important and significant it is to these people. And it's like I was thinking it's like yeah. Bobo's relationship with that was actually really interesting because he's kind of a clone of one, and yeah. he, has, he wouldn't. Like, where's his bond to come from? Like, does he have one? Like, he doesn't seem to. He just yeah. seems to want the armor back. It was back. his father's. All he knows is that it was his father's armor. And that's, like, a, actually a really interesting perspective that I yeah. I, I think I was... <laughs> I'm thinking of it back, like... Anyway, that is a thought I had during this episode when I was, like, laughing about how pointless half of it was. Was, like, man, that would be cool. Yeah, because I was thinking about... Because um, who's the person who, like, directed and wrote? Oh, not directed, but, like, you know, created Mandalorian. No, Dave uh, Filoni and John Favreau. Yeah, and I was thinking about how he seemingly wrote, like I think he wrote and created this series, like this specific spinoff as well. And it's like mm. it's got yes. like the same yes. overall like format as Mandalorian, where it's got the same kind of credit sequences, same like titles. That you, like, I love it. Everything about it is the same style. It's so similar, yeah. But I was thinking about how like it's like he had the idea. It's like oh, like oh, someone brought the idea. It's like oh, you want to make a Boba Fett spinoff? And it's like sure. Yeah. And it's like it felt like he had like so little there when he finally came to like making it it's like oh man i've got like no ideas for this that's what it's starting to feel <laughs> like to me yeah where it just it's starting to feel very shallow and just like spinning its wheels until i guess something happens at the end i don't know yeah and and i guess like looking like uh, just quickly looking up with Django fett he was a mandalorian foundling oh, Django so he was. was one of those yeah so Django. so so the father Django fett who we see in Attack of the Clones, he was actually like brought into the Mandalorians as a foundling. So as a human who was found and kind of adopted by the Mandalorians and he like kind of fought alongside them as well. Oh, okay. Um, and he, apparently he fought in the, the civil wars of uh, the Mandalorian kind of like era, like on yeah. Mandalore. So, yeah, like you say yeah. that and it's like, it actually makes me think like a, a, like a full-on prequel from like after his father died and like maybe not as a kid necessarily, but as in his, like <laughs> finding his foot as <laughs> yeah, not as a kid finding as his foot. Fett. Yeah, he's finding his footing as like a bounty hunter, and like yeah, at, like I could actually see one where it's like, would he actually be considered a Mandalorian when he's a clone exactly. of a foundling? Like I how, think that's what like, people were thinking the Boba Fett series would be before it got like kind of revealed. Yeah, and it's like you know, what about his legacy of being like responsible for the clones, or is that just not known? stuff like that it's like there's there's stuff there like i actually didn't think of it that far like that's actually really mm. interesting and like i guess because they really wanted the original actor back and there's no way you can play him unless you got someone yeah. new for bobber i guess yeah well i mean that would be the idea is someone playing young bobber but like um, <laughs> young Bubba. It sounds like a rapper <laughs> yes it does <laughs> well that, i mean I, I guess yeah like imagine like just following him on his um like bounty hunting escapades but then would that be just kind of a lot of 
covering what the Mandalorian yeah. season yeah. one was as well. That's like, true. I think maybe yeah. that's kind of the danger there. I don't know. Yeah, I think I saw one comment saying it's like the Mandalorian already kind of took the basis of Boba Fett as like cool armor and they kind of just gave him a new personality. Like, oh, not a very yeah. new person. Like, it's basically the same as we how we knew him. Like, that's the thing. The the version of Boba Fett that everyone knew was basically the Mandalorian in season one. Yeah. Doesn't talk much. Down to business bounty hunter. Wearing Mandalorian armor. Right. Mm. But the Boba Fett we get in this series is very different. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, I, I, I guess that's the point. It's like, okay, we need to do something different if the yeah. Mandalorian's already kind of taken that spot. Done the Boba thing. Yeah. yeah. But it's, I don't know. I, I guess you, I'd rather yeah. they not do it, <laughs> even mm. though it's not it's not terrible or anything. It just feels I, I guess it's like empty. Like it's not. Mm, I don't know. We'll see. I remember like the yeah. um, the woman who plays the actor who plays the side quest, sidekick, um, Ming Na Wen. Yes, she said in mm. an interview like last week that it's like she was kind of hyping up the ending of the series, like mm. saying you know like doing that you know. Um, Oh, shit, I forgot the Kojima quote. But, like, you'll be, like, ashamed of your, like, misdeeds or whatever. Oh, I forgot that God. quote. <laughs> anyway, she was kind of doing that where saying, like, you know, at the end it'll be clear what, I guess, what the point of the series is. But I think she was, yeah, she was just trying to... I don't have, like, I'm not criticizing that so much. It's just, like, maybe yeah. there'll be something towards the end. But right now yeah. it's very masturbatory and kind of empty. Um, yeah, because, like, kind of boring. I'm just trying to remember, did... Did Boba Fett see his dad die? I feel like... Because I know, like, Jango Fett was killed <laughs> he was, in Attack of He was the holding Clans, his head, wasn't he? Yeah, or something fucked up like that. Or was he just holding the helmet? I don't know. It was like, that's, like, that's kind of fucked up. I think Jango... I actually, I don't know. I feel like Jango was, like, beheaded. Like, actually beheaded by yeah, a Yeah, he was beheaded. Yeah. But I'm just... Oh, that's just... Anyway, that's... Because um, <laughs> I actually remember that because of the Lego games. Because that's what they show. <laughs> Where, like, yes, <laughs> yes, we we do see him get beheaded, and then um, I think that was in like the movie. But and then like in this show, we got like kind of like the something that was a deleted scene from that movie was like Boba holding the helmet. Oh, okay. But then if he's holding the helmet, would his dad's head still be in it? That seems. <laughs> I don't want to think about it. <laughs> no, we'd have to judge how heavy it looks when he <laughs> picks it up. <laughs> Oh, that's just, I don't want to think about that. <laughs> you don't? <laughs> oh, no. Because, <laughs> uh, like, yeah, because, like, um, yeah, oh, man, that's, um, I, I guess it would be cool to, to see how it ends because there's definitely a lot of potential there. And, like, it seems like the Boba Fett we have now is a lot more kind of, I guess he's, like, matured. And mm. I guess they, they're kind of showing that in the flashbacks. Yeah. But then we we basically got to this Boba Fett in see, in episode three, like the beginning of episode, like pretty much at the end of episode two, we got to this Boba Fett, you know, where he like, he's accepting that t- working together as a tribe or as a team is better. But yeah. then episode three and four didn't really develop him any further. Yeah. It's like he doesn't, I don't know. It's, it's not like proving that this show was made like worthwhile effort, you know? So it's not awful, yeah. but it feels very unnecessary. Uh, if anything, it's kind of hurting my impression of Perfer. <laughs> like, it j- he just <laughs> seems very uninteresting now. Uh, like, um, oh, also, I wanted to follow up to something because you mentioned Jawas, and I was thinking it's like, I would have actually minded more. You mean Ewoks? <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> um, but I do want to come back to that. It's like, they're like, you know, they kind of like delved into the Raiders, the Tusken Raiders being, you know, this own culture and this own people, even though they're kind of 
cut them off at the knees a little bit and now they just kind of feel yeah and it was like just, the wind. there are many tribes they're all hiding and stuff yeah like i don't think they did an incredible job with them because they just do feel more generically space tribe yeah, yeah like they don't really they don't it still doesn't feel like there's much to them but there's a little bit and i wouldn't mind like yeah. that's what i was thinking it's like it's kind of going out of its way to be as nostalgic as possible for everything that's on tatooine in the series it's like yeah. you know it's got that big monster creature in the dungeon it's got the huts it's got it's got like everything it can and i was thinking it's like oh like you mentioned jawas like oh i bet they're kind of interesting like i don't think it'll well i mean i say that out loud it's like oh i bet they're not but um like you know there's something there and i'm so actually kind of surprised i haven't done that as well but mm. i bet they are <laughs> i bet that's gonna come up <laughs> well yeah um it'll be yeah i don't know i'll I want it to come home. I, w- I really want it to stick the landing. Like, yeah. I think we deserve that. <laughs> yeah. not, not just like Star Wars. I'm talking like even... Actually, no, we do deserve it with Star Wars. But we also deserve it with all the the Marvel shows as well. Yeah. Well, it's like with like Boba Fett. It's like, I've watched four hours of this. I need something. Mm. But um, yeah. It re- yeah. yeah. I, I, I don't know why I need to feel the need to reiterate it. It's not awful. It just feels <laughs> very... Yeah. Like, it's not... The more it goes on, the more it feels like uh, I could be doing something else a little bit. It just doesn't feel like it's all that worthwhile so far. So hopefully it ends in an interesting way, which I bet is kind of the point of it. Like it feels like one of those shows where it's kind of spinning its wheels until we get to the... It's like Loki, (laughs) you know? Yeah. It's like all the way to the end to set up like a whole other thing. Yes. And that's the thing. It's like... Like... You know, it's not like there's a shortage of things to watch. And I think, like, some of these shows are just being propelled purely by the, the, the like, the, the the franchise. Like, kind of the need to... Like, you know, I watched Eternals not because, like, I really am attracted to... I really want to know the story of the Eternals. It's more so... I've seen all the Marvel movies except one. That's Hulk. Oh, yeah. I need to watch this. It's just it's just a Marvel movie. I just watch it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely got to that point. It's like yeah, it's like Marvel <laughs> shows. Like Marvel movies are like just like a big long television show, or it's like yeah. an anthology series even, <laughs> or like episodic. Yeah. Yeah. Might be better. Yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> but yeah, like okay, we, we were talking about Suicide Squad, and then we talked about Peacemaker, and then we briefly touched on Netflix and the idea of like kind of temple yeah, releases. Right. Just quickly, the news that Netflix confirmed a second season for Squid Game. All right. All right. Do you think it needs a... Um, I'm kind of... Like, I was, like, drawn into the ending of the first season enough that I'd, I wouldn't mind watching a second one just to see how it expands on it. You mean but with the ending where he um, dumped this kid on this old lady, abandoned his responsibilities for his daughter... Well, I guess a little <laughs> bit because we, minute. yeah, we did talk about that for a while. I meant more as in like, <laughs> I meant as in like they didn't, you know, not in that I want this. Like, I don't feel like the ending of the first season should have been the Squid Game's end because the whole point mm. of it is that it's not meant to, just because of yeah. the way capitalist culture works. But it's yeah. um, yeah, you know, like I'd like it to be explored just because it felt like it had a little more to expand upon i guess like not much i don't know i feel like if they're gonna do another season and the creator is like directly involved and excited for it mm. which i think he is or at least he's, yeah i don't know because he's been talking about it since the show came out and this is just the first time it's been actually confirmed by netflix itself that it's like yeah yeah it's Sarandos, like net yeah netflix boss ted Sarandos. he actually said 
quote, the Squid Game universe has just begun, <laughs> which makes me less excited for it. The, the SGEU, the SGU. Ugh. That actually makes it so much worse. Like, it's seriously <laughs> terrible. Like, it's like... like it's, a, it's, a, it's a critique of capitalism and the thirst for money at all costs. Yeah. And then this, it just, it's going to become the thing. It, it's like kind of parodying in a way. Yeah, it's like a Squid Game, like Squid Game kind of... I'm, I'm not sure why it became so ultra popular, but I feel like its draw was that it's kind of this individual curiosity, which is like, it's not the first time uh, these sort of Battle Royale style stories have been done. But mm. I think it's like the first time it's been exposed to people in a big way outside of Hunger yeah. Games. Yeah, and, and, so- and also like even the original Battle Royale film never really left cult status and uh, still hasn't to this day. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I can... Oh, what's my point? <laughs> it just feels like... Yeah, it feels like this single thing that was became very popular because it felt very distinct and individual and like didn't feel like just, you know, another spin-off of something or mm. whatever. Mm. And now yeah. they're kind of trying to, you know, correct that <laughs> into like, oh, now this is yeah. this whole other platform of <laughs> series and games and such. And it's like, it's not surprising, but it is like, mm. I think it's just when it's put in those words, the Squid Game universe has just begun, like hyping it up like you're on an E3 keynote. It's like, yeah, oh, it's like so, like, you just <laughs> yeah. got completely undermine whatever sense of enthusiasm I had for it it's in like, like a, a Final genuine Fantasy way. Announcement. Yeah. Oh, this is Squid Game Phase 2. <laughs> yeah. Be excited to pay us more money. Um, Maybe they should just call it... Do you think the sequel should just be called Squid Games? Or The Squid Games or something instead of like Squid Game 2? I wonder uh, what it would be called. I guess. <laughs> I think Korea tends to name things like Squid Game 2, right? No, and that like I mean, as in like a whole so. series. Like a new yeah. second season will be named that. But yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I guess like if we think about the ending of where Squid Game was, like... I mean, you had the main, like, the protagonist, like, the winner, like, player 37 or whatever it was, player 36, like, him, um, I guess, like, his quest to uncover and shut down the Squid Games, a uh, Squid Game, sorry, and then you've got kind of, like, remember the, 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 the what is it, the, the playmaster, you know, the one, the guy who turned out to be the brother of the cop? Right. Uh, and then, and like the old guy's gone, so who's going to take over like kind of the whole legacy of running this insane tournament? Hmm. <laughs> it's yeah, I think yeah. that's like I think that's part of what excites me about it. It's like yeah, I mentioned earlier how much I love time skips. That's part of it. And like I was thinking about how <laughs> the way I envision the second season being just kind of playing out in a similar way to the first one, until kind of he, you know, inserts becomes. himself into this kind of like projected loop of the squid game, you know, like in the same way, oh I guess, Oh my God. like that's like, you know, it's an exciting take. It's not that exciting, I guess. I don't know. It's exciting enough to me that I wouldn't mind seeing a second season to see how they do it. Oh I just don't God. have much confidence. That it'll be good. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm picturing like a Bioshock type thing where it's like, Oh, the old man in this squid game is actually the main character, but really old. Cause you know how he's like no longer in <laughs> yeah, touch that's... with his wife and his son. But imagine yeah. that was like, his like wife and son because they left years ago and like and he's had all this money and he's like s- kept like accruing money over the years and like eventually he got bored and like kind of created this and now he's recruited like a future version of himself to continue the loop but he's hoping that maybe once like one of the players will actually bl- break the loop and allow him to die peacefully or something like yeah that would be crazy and like <laughs> by that time 
Kang Sae-byuk, like the girl's little brother, is like his age, <laughs> and he's maybe he's like, oh man, that that, <laughs> that could be sick. That could be cool. <laughs> that's so so many time skips but like <laughs> um it's the yeah, ultimate it's, time skip it's, yeah. <laughs> it's all the way to the future um or like, the space yeah, it's like 40 years in the future he's like on his deathbed he's like the old man and then the young kid he's like i never found out what happened to my sister <laughs> yeah that does oh. i don't know it does actually feel like they're gonna do like you know I feel like the idea of having like you know secret rogue agents on either mm. side of it is always going to be a thing in a way that's also less exciting to me when it's like yeah it's, yeah I don't know I'm I don't know they did it with Stranger Things Stranger Things is like pretty progressively like pretty strong each season I'd say at least yeah. like at least worth the effort you know yeah. <laughs> which is very like faint praise but like um you know like i enjoy <laughs> the scene each season personally <laughs> yeah. so it's like it's yeah. not like they're just kind of trying to recreate something over and over again for yeah. like you know diminishing returns so but i'm curious to see if i don't know squid game is like the biggest thing they've had in probably since stranger things actually so it's um yeah i'd imagine they'd want to nurture it into something yeah. an actual flagship because that's what i was saying yeah. earlier it's like they dump these shows in the you know deep end they don't get popular it's like okay we're cancelling you um yeah but it's like which it's it's i don't know they they stumble onto flagship properties so rarely yeah something like this and they obviously want them they just rarely you know they're giving Zack snyder the zombie movies and now that's a whole thing <laughs> yeah the army or whatever the which series I, yeah army of series yeah which i don't think is really quite earned it personally no that just feels <laughs> like, like they, it feels like they needed one yeah so they goes like yeah, but it's like of all the characters that you'd think an army movie would be about, it would, it's I didn't think of like the eccentric German uh, like lockpick. Well, he's actually like in his forties, but looks like twenty. Yeah, I didn't know that either. But he does like he actually had like the most personality in that movie by far, 100%. right? Yeah, so it yeah. kind of makes sense in that way. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> like, off topic. Anyway. Yeah. Um, speaking of like Netflix series that's like really good, uh, my wife and I finished watching uh, The Chestnut Man, which is a Danish crime thriller. Okay. It's uh, six episodes, about like 40 minutes each or something. Really good. I think you'd like, if you, if you like, like, even if you're not like a, like, it's not like gory in that way or anything like that, but it's, it's definitely like very gripping, like from episode to episode. It really does want to like, you really do want to keep watching. Like, if if you get the chance, I'd recommend everyone at home check out Chestnut Man on on Netflix. It's yeah, definitely a, a really really great show. Cool. Uh, that's that's a lot of talking. Week, yeah, huh? I really wasn't. I said I was low energy at the start. <laughs> I've like gradually peaked <laughs> at the end. All energy. So it's, it's all that anger directed towards the death of Anime Lab. <laughs> yes. And how how incredibly bad binge is. <laughs> that's yeah. what it's, that's what gave you your phoenix down. I gave you gave you that yeah. second wind in this in this um in yeah. this episode. <laughs> Getting my revengeance. <laughs> oh, I didn't like that. Uh, speaking of Kojima, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that's going to do it for another episode. If you guys loved what you heard, um, please do consider subscribing or following us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. Definitely appreciate it. Um, always, uh, always keen to to um, you know meet new fans and make new fans and grow the the community. But we do this for fun. We do this for love. And if you do love what you hear and you do love what you read, please head over to doublejump.co. We've got lots of awesome content um, coming up. Uh, and you can also find links to all of our social media profiles. And if you want to support us financially, you can become a member as well um, and get ad-free reading on the site. But yeah, John, it's been a, another cracker episode, surprisingly. Um, thanks so much. Thanks so much, man. That was a, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, thank you got to talk and ramble for a while again <laughs> it's becoming a trend it becomes a trend when we don't have as much of a limit when we move the st- structure around <laughs> exactly right exactly now maybe, talk that, about maybe that's a bad thing i don't know yeah um, now i can complain you know, about Boba Fett as much as i want yeah well we've, we've still got another like i guess handful of episodes and then a two-week break and i think moon night starts okay so i guess i guess folks at home can continue their Looking forward to us complaining about Marvel or Disney in some way or another. Yeah, goes, and yeah. it goes gaming news, yeah. then Disney Plus segment. <laughs> yeah, apparently. Uh, uh, speaking of which, um, uh, Fortnite got skins based on the Hawkeye show. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't hear about that. But it just looks like black and blue like suits. suits. Like, there's nothing really... It's like, oh, here's the Kate Bishop skin. You know, the iconic character Kate Bishop. I really want that purple <laughs> purple uh, arrow head on my chest. <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> I'm just like I was like, okay, yep, you can just get any generic like kind of Caucasian female character with black hair and just say, yep, that's Kendrick. You get to pay twenty bucks for it. Probably. Uh, anyway, that's that's gonna do it for another episode. John, thank you so much again. And until next time everyone, look out for one another. Peace. Bye.